So Parshas Shemini is called the eighth day. The reason it's called the eighth day is because there was seven days of inauguration of the tabernacle. And on the eighth day, there was a, something new, something a difference, some, something that changed. And there was, there was the revelation of the Shekhinah. After seven days of inaugurating the Mishkan, inaugurating Aaron, his children, and the altar, on the eighth day, there was the revelation of the Shekhinah. So the Kliyakar asks, it seems that the eighth day is not really the eighth day, it's something new, something different. There were seven days of inauguration. Now, this is not a day of inauguration, this is something else. This is when the Shekhinah was revealed. And if that's true, this question is, so why are you calling it the eighth day? It's something new. It's some, so he answers that whenever the Torah uses expression or uses the number seven, it's something which is mundane. But the number eight is connected to holiness. And he gives many different um, places where we find that A is associated with something that's holy. For example, by a bris milah, the bris milah is done on the eighth day. And it's holier than Shabbos, and therefore pushes off Shabbos. A bris milah is higher than Shabbos, and therefore, when a bris falls out on Shabbos, we suspend, or whatever language we should use, the, the, the obligation of uh, bris milah overrides obligation of Shabbos, and therefore we do the bris on Shabbos. Why? Because eight is higher than seven. He also brings a medrash, which says that whenever Moshe praised Hashem, it was with the word Oz. It says Oz Yashir. Then the Jewish people sang to Hashem. It says, um, it says, May Oz Basil Pare, from this time that it came to Pare. So Moshe used the word Oz. In every time he praised Hashem, says a medrash, why is Oz significant? Because Oz is, says the Kliyakar, Aleph Zion, which Oz means then, but Oz alludes to Echo the Reich of Zion, one that is beyond seven. So there is the seven, which is connected to mundane, and then there is the eight, there's the one which is beyond the seven, and that is uh, the level of holiness. That's what Kliyakar says. But the more he explains how special um, the number eight is and how holy the number eight is, the more we have a question. Because the more that we understand that the after seven days of inauguration, it was nothing compared to the revelation of Hashem on, on the day after, the more we appreciate that there's something new that's going on. And if it's something new, why is it called the eighth? Why is it called one on top of seven? It, it should be called something something completely different from the others. Why is it? Why is there an emphasis on the number eight? It's something which is brand new. Why eight? So you also need to understand what does he mean when he says that all sevens are mundane? Obviously, seven is not completely mundane. For example, he, he says the seven days of the week are an example of some of how we see seven as mundane. But the seventh day of the week is Shabbos. And you all know Shabbos, the Shabbos is holy. So you cannot say when he says seven is mundane, it really means mundane. Or another example he gives is the harp in the Beis HaMikdash. 
the first and second base of English, the harp had seven strands, and Mashiach will come will have eight strands. The Kleokar says, here you see again, the eight is holy. So obviously, although the base the, the harp that will be used by the Levim, Mashiach will come, will have a higher level of holiness. And that's why it's not the number eight. You cannot say that the um, harp of the base Amigdash wasn't holy. Obviously, it was holy. Or another example, it says that all the Torah we learned today is considered insignificant, hevel, vain, uh, in comparison to the Torah of Mashiach. It doesn't mean that our Torah is worthless. It just means in comparison to the Torah of Mashiach, this, this is considered negligible. But not that it's nothing. It is still holy. The base of is holy and Shabbos is holy. So when the Kleokar says that the number eight is holy, number seven is not holy, he doesn't mean that seven is not holy at all, that seven is mundane. What he means is that the holiness of the number seven is connected to something lower than the, than the holiness that, that is expressed by the number eight. And it's so much lower that we can call it mundane in comparison to the higher level of holiness of the number eight. So that means we have a holiness which is associated with the world. And there's a holiness which is beyond the world. Let's take, for example, in ourselves, we also have a seven and we also have an eight. The, the number seven, we know that there are seven spheres in Atsilus, and there are also seven emotional um, parts of the soul. Chesed, Gura, Teferis, Malchus. These seven emotions are created by seven different ways of thinking. For example, Chesed, which means love and attraction. What do we, what do we love? What are we attracted to? We're, we love when we're attracted to, to what we think is good. So different, different kinds of understanding motivate different kinds of feeling. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of those items that we think aren't good for us. So the way we think affects the way we feel. So, and within chesed itself, there are different kinds of chesed. There's chesed chesed, um, chesed That means that there are 49 levels of understanding. That's why the Gemara says, there's, there's 49 gates of understanding. The 49 levels of understanding are what create the 49 feelings. So, these 49 kinds of feelings, the 49, as we have in Sphere Seimer, throughout Sphere Seimer, we're supposed to elevate one of all of the 49 kinds of emotions. These emotions and their counterparts, the intellectual um, paradigms that produce these emotions, they are, they could be holy. If the godly soul overcomes the animal soul, the animal soul also has 49 kinds of feelings and 49 ways of thinking that produce the animal soul's kinds of feelings. So the godly soul and the animal soul work with each other on how we should feel and how we should think. So if the godly soul is victorious, so then it's possible to create something holy out of, the, uh, out of that uh, holy feelings, holy good feelings. The godly soul could win the animal soul, but even if it wins, it, it, it's what that what, what what's happening is is that there is something which is human 
artificial that we're producing, that's holy. It's something which could be holy or not holy. If the animal soul wins, it's not holy. If the godly soul wins, it is holy. That's the meaning of the number seven. Number seven is holiness that we're able to create on our own. Then there's something else. We have inside of us, we have inside of us our core, which is one with Hashem, which is beyond, which just like Hashem doesn't change, so we have a part of us which does not change and is faithful to Hashem and cannot, nothing could shake its bond with Hashem. Even during, while a person is committing a sin, it's still faithful to Hashem. And it, not, nothing can, can shake this bond. And, and, and every so often, um, it's, this, 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 this part of our neshama comes to the fore. Like Tezantanya, when a Jew is challenged to kill himself or to bow to an, an idol, the Jew chooses to, to kill himself because, or to allow himself to be killed, because this connection to Hashem is, is far beyond anything else that the person is interested in. So much so that Alter says, but even a person who was involved in all kinds of physical passions all of his life, and he was into the most earthy things his whole entire life, kosher and non-kosher. When, 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 when this kind of challenge comes in his life, all of the things that he thought were so important all of a sudden vanish and become insignificant to him, to him completely. Kolohoyu, as if they never existed. So that level of neshama is pintliyid, is something which is, which is uh, something Hashem gave us. So that's something which is beyond the seven, something which is higher than, than, than the mundane, higher than something that we, uh, holiness that we create ourselves through our thinking and our feelings. This is, however, the novelty of what the Kleyakar and the Medrashay, the Moshe Rabbeinu's praise of Hashem was us. What's us? One on top of seven. In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu's praise wasn't the essence of the neshama only. It was the one which is on top of the seven. In other words, the three ways of serving Hashem. There is the seven. That you're trying to use your mind and your heart to create a connection to Hashem. Using your understanding of godliness. Trying to, to rouse your neshama. Then there is a higher level of serving Hashem. Which is the number one. Which is thinking of, which is arousing the essence of your neshama. Which has no... Has no... Um, has no no it it's it, all the pleasures of this world are, are meaningless to it. But the highest level and the goal is when Moshe in his praise of Hashem was us one on top of seven. That means that the mysterious nefesh and the amuna that comes from the essence of the neshama permeates the way we think and the way we feel. So it's not just a man-made understanding that we generate with our understanding, but rather the essence of our neshama is is revealed in our persona, in our natural feelings. And so, that, so that it's not something which is not connected to the other seven, it's, it is connected to the other seven. The, this part of the neshama, the pintliyid, makes me think differently and feel differently so that my thoughts and feelings are in sync with who I am as a Jew with my very core. This is why the... Uh, prophecy of the coming Mashiach, which we said before that the Mashiach will come, the harp will have eight strands. The emphasis is the number eight, one on top of seven. What's the idea of the, the, the number eight? One on top of seven. When Mashiach comes, it says, the glory of Hashem will be revealed and all flesh will see Hashem. What's the meaning of all flesh? All flesh means 
That it's not the Hashem will reveal himself to us and we'll go to some other world. Rather, in the physical world itself, the revelation of Hashem. That's the idea of the one on top of seven. That it's not just a revelation where we stop to exist and we explode. But the revelation is within us, in this world. That's also the idea of the eighth day of the inauguration of the, of the, of the Mishkan. The eighth day means that it's not something which is not part of the days before. It's a new revelation of Hashem, which is not associated with, with, with their efforts. Rather, the revelation of the Eivishter is in, in the work of their hands, in, in this world. Take is something which is incomparable to what they could achieve. But this eighth, this highest revelation of Hashem comes into, into the world. Um, so, in short, the, the, the message that the Torah is telling us with the number eight is the Shmini is that there's the goal of serving Hashem is not that we should be only serving Hashem with our mind and heart, and not either that we should only serve Hashem with the essence of our Hashem. The goal of serving Hashem is the highest level is, is that we, our thoughts and feelings are, are impacted with, with the way we are in our core. So that I'm able to think deeply into who I am as a Jew and for that to guide what I think is important, what's not important. So that my persona, who I am, the way I think, the way I feel is, is an expression of, of my very essence. There was a chas the Baal Shem Tev. He came to Baal Shem Tev. He asked Baal Shem Tev, I want to learn how to eat. Baal Shem Tev said, go to Yankel. Yankel teach you how to eat. So he went to Yankel. Yankel had this huge breakfast, huge lunch, and the guy couldn't keep up. The guy was eating so much. So he asked Yankel, tell me, Baal Shem Tev told me, come to you to learn how to eat. Why do you eat so much? What does this mean? I can't, I can't eat as much as you. So Yankel told him, and he was, heard different versions of the story. One, one version I heard was, when he was a child, he saw a Jew being beaten up, and then the Jew was burnt alive. So he said, if that happens to me, I want to burn for a long time. So another version of the story, I want, I want, to, I want to be larger, so that they'll be, they'll be frightened of me, he's so to protect the Jew, whatever it was. But the point is that although he's eating, and he's eating a lot, but what is going on in him while he's eating, what, what's he thinking about? He's thinking about Mr. Snafesh. He's thinking about giving himself over to Hashem. So it's, it's not about number one, or about number seven. It's about that we may be doing lots of things, but our Messias Nefesh has to be what's what's in our minds. Messias Nefesh has to be the way we think. Coming from Purim, Esther. Esther was in the lap of luxury. She's she's a queen. And yet she knew she had a mission of Messias Nefesh. And that's what guided her, this this, this sense of devotion to Hashem. You don't need a Fabrenga to really flush this idea to, to, to really understand it, but let's 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 let's, uh, let's continue to think about it and bring it home. Have a great day. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome.